up, everybody? Welcome to Hangout in the Holy Land, Land Grant's flagship podcast. I'm your host, Josh Dooley, and with me as always, at least he, until he is named the new athletic director at Ohio State, the one, the only, Chuck Holmes. Chuck, what's up, brother? When are you scheduled to interview for that AD position? I've been on Indeed uh, every day this week looking to see when the job got posted, and I have not seen the posting. So I don't know if it's just not in my algorithm. So it was on Indeed. I thought they would at least go like Silk Road or whatever the one is for the, the <laughs> high-paying position, but I guess they're, they're casting a wide net. Yeah, so I, I haven't seen it yet. Um, I've also been checking my email. I thought maybe they would just go ahead and send me like a direct link, like an internal link. I uh, haven't seen that yet either, but fingers crossed that that's happening soon. Obviously, the interview process is going to be, uh, I mean, I would guess I would have to talk to at least two or three people over uh, a day or two before I got named. So we probably need to pick it up because I'm going to need to start shadow and boss man if I'm going to be ready to go June 2024. What would be really funny is if they had the easy apply on LinkedIn. <laughs> so it was a button. With your resume already submitted. <laughs> and then you oh, just talk to him. 3.4 million applicants, if that was oh, the case. I'm sure. But uh, yeah, so Chuck and I rec- are recording this on Monday evening after yet another sort of impactful week in the world of college sports, especially as it pertains to the Ohio State University. So we've sort of hit on it, Chuck. Let's start with the Gene Smith news first. And then I know we both want to talk about fall camp and Ryan Day's presser that he had today. So for those of you who may or may not know, last Wednesday, OSU AD Gene Smith announced that he will be retiring in or as of June 2024. Smith has been in Columbus for nearly two decades. And... You know, I think it would be hard to argue that he has not been one of the most respected and impactful ADs in the country, really, since he arrived at OSU. He has been here for the end of the Jim Trussell era and Urban Meyer era, but really, he has helped navigate several situations and also, for better or worse, but I think better, helped to drive change and probably shape the current and future Big Ten. Do you think that that's fair, Chuck? There is no doubt that uh, every change that the Big Ten has seen, and maybe not the first few years of his tenure, but over the last 10, 12, 13 years, there's no doubt that any change the Big Ten has made on the athletic side Gene Smith absolutely either had a hand in or at a minimum signed off on that being a positive for the conference and thus the university because he had that kind of sway over this athletic department. And because this athletic department is so large, it just automatically gave him the sway that he would need in the Big Ten to really influence the direction they went. Yeah, some of it is certainly by default. He gets to swing that big scarlet and gray sword, and with that comes a lot of power. But he was a known commodity before he arrived in Columbus, and sure. he, he has mentored and tutored a number of like current ADs now. And we may or may not get into candidates. I don't think it really matters at this point. but. 
Uh, I would imagine that his position is and will become highly sought after. I mean, you talked about it, one of, if not the biggest athletic departments in the country, Blue Blood football team. They are sort of in the running for the, gosh, it's going to escape me. I want to say the the Director's Cup for recognizing like the most accomplished athletic department. And look, Stanford wins every single year. I think they have 25 or 26 out of the last 30, whatever it is. But Ohio State, by and large, has been successful across the board, with the exception of baseball, you know, which I know you love. But what I find interesting is that the new AD, whomever he or she is, may come in with certain changes in mind. And maybe that means changes in leadership, as in coaches. So this is not a small deal for Ohio State. Chuck, what are your sort of general thoughts? Do you think that they look to bring in somebody who has some sort of ties or maybe work for Gene Smith or, you know, I, I don't know the, the leadership that's in charge of selecting this person. Well, Ohio State doesn't even have a president right now, so it's still very murky, right? But do you think that the preference would be for ties to the school or somebody new with, uh, you know, new ideas? I think some of the candidates that have ties will get an opportunity. You know, I don't think the Washington State AD, given any other circumstances, especially with what's happening with Washington State kind of getting left out, would get an opportunity to interview. But I think because Pat Chum was here, he he will. So I do think they'll get an opportunity. I don't think they're beholden to it, right? I don't think this is a, a scenario where uh, we need a, a, a Michigan man or what North Carolina did when they went to Matt Doherty when he wasn't the right candidate and then practically begged Roy Williams because they needed a Carolina man to come here. This this is a completely different concept because this is a business like it's running a, a, a team is one thing. Running a department is literally a it's running a business. And I don't think they will. Um, I think they'll give them an opportunity to prove they're the right candidate, but I do not think that they're going to be the only ones. And frankly, if somebody from another school that none of us have ever heard of is the right candidate, then I trust that's who they're going to bring in uh, once they hire, you know, the university president. No big, no big deal before that. Yeah, it definitely seems like they're in a, a weird place, at least. I wouldn't call it difficult because, uh, you know, President Johnson is still involved. But yeah, like the the handoff or lack thereof, it's going to be a bit clunky, probably. But And maybe that's why Gene Smith agreed to stay on for what amounts to an additional year. You know, maybe he was sort of ready to go. Maybe come wintertime, he wants to get the hell out of Columbus, but he's like, all right, whatever, I'll stay till next June. Who knows? But I, I think that I agree with you. It's The Ohio State ties, I think, have been talked about because they exist, because they are so prevalent. And you've got Pat Chun at Washington State. You've got uh, the gentleman whose name is escaping me right now at UCLA, the Doogie Hauser of ADs. He was an assistant AD at like 23, 24 years old. Um, 
the female president or the female athletic director that just got named at Utah State, I think has Ohio State ties as well. So I think that conversation has been generated just because it's out there and Gene Smith has been a great mentor to so many people. But at the end of the day, you're right. It's a business. It is about the big picture, even though there are pockets of fans who would prefer that it's just about football or just about basketball. It is about the big picture because Ohio State's athletic department is this big behemoth that's very successful. And there are, you know, non-revenue generating sports that are very important to people and athletes and fans, and they've been important to Gene Smith too. So I think uh, kudos to him for continuing to, uh, you know, whatever it is, pound the table for those other sports and those other athletes to have a prominent role at Ohio State and, and things like that. So, <clears throat> you know, Chuck, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. And I don't know that I have an answer. Is there anything in the past, what, 18, 19 years that, like, you vehemently disagreed with or you were like, Gene Smith is making the wrong decision? Was there anything that really just caught you off guard or were you like, you know, this guy's just wrong. He's going about it all wrong. The one thing you look back now, especially in today's climate, is is the the forced resignation of Jim Trestle, right? I, I know he, he resigned, but let's be honest, like that that man bled scarlet and gray. He wasn't leaving without being told, hey, you probably need to go. So that one in hindsight, but it, it, it's hard to say because it just wasn't the same environment then. Um, it, it just wasn't. So I, not really. I mean, it. he's, he's done a good job. I mean, he, obviously, he wouldn't have been in, in the role for as long as he had if he had, right? This is too important of a position at too important of a university for him to not have been wildly successful. And if he had had that high-profile, boy, you really screwed this up, he probably would have been shown the door years ago. Can I throw one at you? Yes. And now that you're saying it, I'm going to, I think I know who it is. Yeah. And it's probably not going to be popular for certain people who listen to this podcast. And look, I don't know how on one side of the fence I am personally, but I think that the Chris Holtman extension is at least worth looking at, right? Like, the timing of it, the finances and longevity of it. I mean, it wasn't a Mel Tucker extension. It wasn't that bad, right? But maybe let's see a little more proof of concept before I throw the literal bag at you. So that's one that comes to mind for me. Although, you know, I've defended Chris Holtman in the past too. For me, it was the the totality of it. Like I said, the, the length, the the salary involved. I'm like, eh, I don't know how I feel about that one. And uh, a year or two, a couple of years later, here we are. So I think that's one that can be discussed, but yeah, then I'm with you. I mean, people were, I think certain people were upset with his reaction to playing or not playing throughout the pandemic, but I think he played his position close to the vest. And ultimately he was one of those who, made a Big Ten football season happen. So the fact that maybe he didn't do it right away, okay, whatever. He's 
like you said, he is a bit of a businessman and he has to look at the bigger picture and things like that. And he has to align with his partners. Ohio State does wield the most power, but he can't just be like, screw everyone. It's my way or the highway. So I think that he's a good partner as well for some of these other presidents. But yeah, the the Chris Holtman extension was the only other thing that came to mind. And I agree with you on the Jim Trestle forced resignation for sure. I, I actually was wrong. I thought you might say that because that remember how kind of crazy it was that they just because not that they fired that because I think it had, it had probably run its course, but that they waited till June. Yeah. And they remember he got he got he got fired way late in the cycle. And then and we thought they, that he, he had kind of alleviated it with with the Holtman hiring. Um, but it may maybe or maybe not. As it turns out, he is one, though, to go back to Chris Holtman. Boy, he better have a good season this year. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think because it ended so poorly, well, it didn't end so poorly. It middled so damn poorly. It just was poorly. Yeah. Um, If I think Chris Holtman's seat is a little less hot. If they're like, you know, above 500 or something last year, but it went downhill quick. And when you add to that, the early tournament loss and things like that, it's, you've got to show progress, but you could also in like, you know, our guys on land grant, the bucket heads, I, I think they do a good job of really talking about this with a level head. You can also look at the good things about Holtman. You know, the recruiting has been pretty good and there are certain guys that have developed that just, I think you and I maybe err towards the other side of that where not enough players have really matured. And yes, the recruiting is great, but these guys aren't hitting their ceiling with the exception of maybe EJ Liddell and Malachi Branham, but there have been too many other guys that haven't been maybe what they were cracked up to be. But yeah, I think just to bring it back full circle, Gene Smith is highly respected because he's done a damn good job. And I think about Ohio State's last athletic director, you and I were around to know a little bit about Andy Geiger. Like, I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I remember a lot. He, and he was a, you know, a respected guy as well. But I, I think that Gene Smith is in a different class and I, I can't put a finger on why I think that is. Maybe some of it is those who have worked under him really going on to be successful. And just like his resume is, strong top to bottom. And so I think he gets a lot of credit for that. As as for how it affects Ohio State, it's all going to be dependent upon the president and the AD because those two entities or those two individuals, they will be closely tied. And so Ohio State has to pin down one to get to the other. But in the grand scheme of things, like I, I don't think that it's really going to affect Ohio State's football team in future years. Um, oh, unless it's an athletic director that gets carte blanche and gets to come in and be like, hey, look, I like this guy, but he should have three natties. I want somebody else. That's possible, right? Like that could happen. 
depending on who you bring in. So I don't know. Check me on that, Chuck. Do you think that there are many, if any, ramifications, or do you think it's pretty much business as usual as long as Ryan Day is still pretty successful and Chris Holtman is still pretty successful? Or do you think that I, I wish I had like a, a data on this, or do you think that new athletic directors have new owner syndrome like they do in the NBA and NFL and things like that, where they're like, all right, I'm in charge. Now I get to do whatever I want and they make a big splash. There, there's, there's a scenario where that happens, especially if you're not performing. The other one is, and we've talked about multiple times about the concept of Ryan Day going to the NFL. If he doesn't get along with this new athletic director, which you would be shocked if they hired somebody that he didn't, but it would, wouldn't be the first time. If they don't get along and you're not getting along with your boss, why would you stay there? Especially when you have op- options, right? You and I have done that in our lives. It's just not at the same level. You know, I don't make $8 million a year. I only make $3 million a year in my current role. Right. So right. I, <laughs> I, but I've had opportunities where I didn't like my boss and that's, that's, America, right? You don't like your role. You start looking for a new one and he could potentially do that if they don't get along. But yeah, Holtman's the one because if he's not going to tournaments, like that's where you make a mark. If you go and get a, uh, a new head coach at basketball, you can say, this is my guy and he is going to turn this program around. So um, if, if Chris Holtman doesn't make the tournament this year, he's in big trouble now. That's fair. And I think as far as Ryan Day goes, that's a good point by you. I I am in the Ryan Day camp. I I might feel differently if they get smoked by Michigan and lose a third straight. But for the most part, I look at it as, yeah, your, one of your employees needs to like the guy or the girl that you are bringing in to be in charge because – you know, let's face it, Ryan Day, Ryan Day doesn't have the same approval level as a Nick Saban, but Ryan Day is sort of the guy in Columbus the same way that Nick Saban is the guy in Tuscaloosa, right? So there does need to be a, a solid working relationship there, I think. And <clears throat> That's probably not the best thing to say. Not everyone wants to hear it, but look, money talks. Money makes the world go round, and Ohio State football makes a whole heck of a lot of money. So the the man tasked in char- tasked with leading that team and coaching that team does, I think, need to be at least considered when that new AD hire comes around. I'm not saying that they get a, a one-on-one conversation with Ryan Day, but whoever is doing the ultimate hiring, I think needs to have that at least in the back of their mind. So um, I I think that pretty much puts a bow on the Gene Smith talk. I don't think you or I are are remotely qualified to go more in depth than that. So Chuck, I think we take a a quick little break here. Let's take an early one and then we'll come back and we'll talk about some fall camp and fall practice. Sound good? Let's do it. Welcome back, everybody, to Hang Out in the Holy Land. For Chuck Holmes, I am Josh Dooley. And 
just got done discussing the the whole Gene Smith situation at Ohio State, how that pertains to Ohio State football, basketball, all the the sports really. But let's do what we do best, Chuck. Let's let's dial it in a little bit. Let's hone in on some Ohio State football. So, actually, I'll give you a couple of options, and I'm going to surprise you. In, in other Ohio State news, we've got two things that we can discuss. I will let you choose. We've got A, ball camp, ball practice, or B, Chris Holtman being a Swifty in Los Angeles. Pick your poison. Which one do you want to go with? <laughs> uh, I knew Chris Holtman was a Swifty, so let's go to fall camp. Okay, good, because I had very few notes on the Swifty phenomenon. Good for Chris Holtman and his daughter. Uh, I can only imagine how difficult those tickets were to get, but... Yeah, let's talk fall camp. So Ohio State is, what, a week plus in right now. Ryan Day had a press conference just today, which we'll get to little bits and pieces of that. But thousand-foot view here, Chuck, seems like there are a few interesting camp battles going on and continuing to take place, really. Ryan Day has said that both quarterbacks, Kyle McCord and Devin Brown, are essentially neck and neck. I would say that that is at least a yellow flag for me as a McCord stand. Then again, along the offensive line, it appears that neither starting tackle role is finalized. That's a darker yellow flag, in my opinion. And the fact that Josh Jimmy Simmons is practicing at left tackle certainly caught my attention. I know that it's caught yours as well. But then on defense seems like those guys have been the talk of camp so far, have they not? We're hearing that Sonny Styles is a unicorn. The corners are practicing out of their minds, which might be why Davis Nygmanosin said he wins 50% of his reps against Marvin Harrison Jr. And Denzel Burke has also been, you know, trash-talking anyone who will listen. I love that. You and I talked about it before the podcast show me or tell me about a successful cornerback who doesn't run his mouth. Like you, you play that position with ego. That's how it's done. So I love that. And then based on what we've heard, you know, still super confident in the linebackers. We've heard some good things about CJ Hicks. We know who the returning starters are Uh, confident in most confident in them other than wide receiver. That is. So I hit you with a bunch of stuff. Chuck, where do you want to start? What has caught your attention the most? Whether that's something I brought up, whether it happened in the presser, got brought up in the presser today. What's like your biggest takeaway thus far from early fall practices? Uh, I I mean, unfortunately, it's the quarterbacks, right? Because that's the most important position on the team. And they're not being clarity after what, seven, eight, nine days of camp after a summer, after a spring where everybody saw this coming with a young man who's been in the program. Now this is his third off season and another young man who this is his second off season uh, for Ryan day to specifically say they need to uh, make some of the easier plays and cut down on turnovers was very alarming. Very, very alarming it, that neither of them have been able to make that adjustment yet. Yeah, I I did not 
hear that part specifically about turnovers, but what I did catch is, you know, his his statement about they need to make sure that they're doing the basics and and, and things like that. You're right. It's it's a yellow flag, like I said, but Ryan Day, I think fairly so, has like the highest expectations in the world. Would you agree for his quarterback based on what we've seen at Ohio State? So some of that may be coach talk. The fact that it that position battle hasn't been determined yet, I think could also be coach talk. It could be the fact that maybe both guys are playing pretty well. But then when he brings up turnovers or not doing the basics, not doing the easy things, whatever he was, you know, I don't have it verbatim in front of me right this second. Yeah, you don't feel as great as you normally would, right? Like even when Justin Fields came in, he had played some at Georgia and everyone was just really excited about him, right? We sort of knew what we thought we should expect. With C.J. Stroud, the way that I remember it, it just happened, like, super quickly. So it's like, oh, okay, C.J. Stroud is the starter now. But he proved himself pretty quickly. And in both those guys' cases, they came back for a second year. So really, like, one out of the last four seasons, I feel like there have been question marks. Now we're the second time in five years. And this is a major question mark for me right now, just because it's season's coming and we don't have an answer yet. Yeah. And I think the bigger part that's kind of concerning is if they were both playing really well and he just couldn't decide, he would say that. Like he would love to tell them, you're both playing well. Let's take it to the next step and, and really excel. But that's not, that's not the, the feeling you get out of this. So to me, it's no. neither of them have even played well enough to be considered the starter. Y- your hope going in was both of them would, and then he would have a tough decision. Now he's got a tough decision because neither of them is actually meeting expectations in practice. And clock's running out on when you're going to start meeting expectations in practice. Because if you can't meet expectations in practice, there's no way you're going to be able to play to the expectations on Saturday, right? It's just, it's too much pressure to, to be the Ohio State quarterback if you're not getting it done Monday through Friday. And, and you hit on pressure. That's got to be affecting both of these guys, right? And I wanted to bring up the quote because I knew I had it. I was fumbling for a second. But Ryan Day said, I keep going back to the fact that there doesn't need to be extraordinary play. It's making the routine plays and taking care of the football. So, I I sort of danced around routine and you did bring up turnover. So I wanted to get that out there. Yeah, man, pressure's tough, especially when there is this much on your shoulders, because it's not just being the quarterback of Ohio state who we found out today is what number three in, in the preseason poll, the main, the primary preseason poll. It's that you're following up Justin Fields and CJ Stroud. You're following up, three Heisman ceremony appearances, right? In four years. So it's not, it's not one, it's also the other, it's the totality of it. So 
a lot is going to be asked of these guys. Again, I hope that it's just a lot of coach speak that we're hearing from Ryan Day, and he's almost demanding perfection at this point because he is, let's face it, he is used to borderline perfection. Is he not? I mean, you look back at the accuracy numbers, the touchdown-to-interception ratios for both Justin Fields and C.J. Stroud, like, Ryan Day has earned the whatever to have those high expectations and make those demands because he has coached these other guys up and tutored them to become what they are and, you know, become first-round picks. So I don't think he wants just a guy. He doesn't want a jag, right? Who said that? Our boy uh, DJ Reader. You you don't want just a jag, just a guy. <laughs> so concerning, but I wouldn't say I'm worried yet. This is this is what camp is for, and this is what this is why you have the month plus leading up to that first game. You've got a couple of guys who game wise are not most are not are not very experienced. If I had to guess right now, I would say that Kyle McCord is the leader in the clubhouse, but it sounds like Ryan Day is leaving the door open. Like, hey, Devin, if you want this, come take it. Do you think that's fair? No, I, I think by default, Kyle McCord is the leader, be, but he he should have already been named a starter. No, I mean the like latter. This, Do you think this, Ryan Day is like, hey, Devin Brown, if you want this, you got a chance, but you got to come take it. Yeah, absolutely, because he's not, but he's not, obviously he's not, and that that's concerning, right? Neither, if if one of them was, it wouldn't even be a, comp, it wouldn't even be a, nothing to be said. If he could say for sure, uh, Devin Brown earned this job, he would do it, because let's be honest, like, there's competition, and then there's not getting ready for the season. Like he mentioned today, that they need to, by the end of this week, make a decision. If they don't make a decision by the end of this week, it's probably going to spill into the season because they've got to start prepping for week one. And if you're sp- if if you have to split reps going into week one, you're just going to split reps going into the season, right? So this is um, this is like the clock's ticking for one of these guys. And I, <laughs> it, it, it's scary, man. Like this is, uh, I, I don't even know when the last time we had something like this. I mean, is this literally Joe Bowserman no, level panic? No. I knew where you were heading. Really? I don't, are you are you sure? I'm not sure. I'm not sure, but I'm going to tell you what. It, I, I mentioned C.J. Stroud. We knew that there was a competition, and then it was almost like I said, it was dropped from the clouds that C.J. Stroud was going to be the new star. We didn't know anything about him. We had seen him run the ball for 40 yards against Michigan State. That was it as a true freshman. So, Right, look, but the, the, the conversation about C.J. Stroud was never, uh, he's got to start handle, or taking care of the ball better. He's got to start making easy throws. Like It was always, we're progressing, we're going there. He is, like, it was never, it was never these conversations. When, when he was, and obviously they they made the they made the commitment today, this day in camp, and it was already to 
everybody kind of assumed it at that point. Like right now, literally nobody can assume anything because you just haven't seen anything from either of them that says, yes, he's the guy. Where CJ in practice routinely showed he was the guy. It was just confirmation because he was a redshirt freshman and they needed to make sure at that point. Like this is a completely different ball game than him. And that's scary because it has been a long time since it has been that way. Yeah, I mean, I guess that's fair. And when you compare the two, I'm just talking Stroud and McCord. CJ Stroud wasn't going into his third year now with question marks, despite having played a little bit. You know, Kyle McCord has all of that. He's going into his third year. We have seen him in smaller sample sizes. So, yeah, I guess that is fair. I just, I don't want to say that I am worried yet because. Ryan Day deserves all the benefit of the doubt. I I think that's fair. So after Indiana, I'll be ready to talk um, because that's at least a a Big Ten team for for whatever that's worth. (laughs) I don't know that they're any better than a a Western Kentucky or anything like that, but at least they play in the Big Ten. Got to give them credit for something. But yeah, TBD on that situation and then – Chuck, I want to get to some of these previews, but I don't want to ignore some of the other presser stuff. So, offensive line, where's your hat on? Where's your head at on offensive line? I know that you and I have talked offline a little bit. It doesn't seem like you have the highest opinion of your boy Jimmy Simmons. I'm a little more forgiving on this side. Talk to me about this Ohio State offensive tackle situation. Well, the the tape doesn't lie, and the grades don't lie, and I understand why they brought him in, because they didn't have the confidence in the current group, and obviously it was warranted, because he is getting first-team reps at left tackle, where he was a uh, below-mediocre right tackle at San Diego State. Like, the, the PFF grades grade him at, like, a 53 overall. Like, that's that's not good at all. So... This is not an. This is not me saying he's uh, he's the problem. The problem is is he's the best option. It sounds like like look, Day pretty much said he yes he is in in competition at left tackle. He has not earned the job yet. But to me, that says he's trending to earn the left tackle job, and that is that's that's trouble. We haven't had a. Uh, Quarterback have to worry about their blind side in a long time, and and I th- I think the current quarterback is going to have to worry about uh, uh, rushers coming from the outside consistently this year because it sure doesn't seem like they have the answers currently. See, you're making me uncomfortable because I'm not used to being the optimistic one, and. One to ten, I don't know where my optimism is right now, but I'll say this about Jimmy Simmons. You're right, the PFF grades, they were bad last year. Um, I don't remember where I saw it or what I was listening to. I wish that I did, Uh, but basically I heard that his last four or five games were much better. I I don't subscribe to PFF. I don't have the game-by-game breakdown. And we have to remember, he was a true freshman last year. And he still started 13 tackles or 13 games at left tackle. Was it in the Mountain West? Yes. Yes, it was. And was his grade, you know, poor? Yes, absolutely. But true freshman, 
He still earned the role. You don't know who or what was next to him. You know, it, it seems like if he gets this left tackle position at Ohio State, he's going to be next to Donovan Jackson. That can only help, right? And like Ryan Day, I think that we need to give Justin Fry some credit here. Maybe not to the same extent. Uh, Justin Fry is not developing top 10 left tackles year after year or iteration after iteration, but he did help Paris Johnson become a top 10 pick playing left tackle. Granted, look, I get it. We knew that he was an absolute superstar. We thought he was, but he was still moving from guard. Dewan Jones, he helped him have a great year. Now, Dewan tanked his own draft status, but had he felt like doing some push-ups and sit-ups and participating in workouts, he probably wouldn't have fallen as far as he did. He's playing fantastic in the preseason for the Browns. So Justin Fry was involved in their maturation and their development. And if he sees Jimmy Simmons as a potential left tackle, he also recruited this guy too when he was at UCLA. So this isn't his first glimpse at what Simmons can do. Now, could he fail miserably? Yeah, definitely possible. But I wouldn't say it's a bad thing. Maybe this is the maturation. This is the the just natural development of Simmons from true freshman to sophomore with better surroundings, better coaching, things of that nature. And as far as Josh Fryer goes, potentially, or it sounds like he is going to stick at right tackle where he started a game last year. Not everyone's built to play both. And that doesn't mean they lack ability or flexibility, adaptability, whatever ility you want. I mean, look, Lane Johnson doesn't play left tackle for a reason, but he's a monster at right tackle. I'm not saying Josh Fryer is going to be Lane Johnson. That's that's not fair, and that's certainly not realistic based on what we've seen. But they may have just gotten into camp and been like, look, man, Josh is really good on the right side. We need to figure out the left. It's possible. I, I don't see you're I'm not swaying you. I can tell that you're just like, uh-huh, get to the point because I ain't buying it. Well, it's the same thing. If one of them was actually good enough to be the starter, he would be saying it. Like he's saying they're 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 kind of playing well enough to be the starter. And I, I don't care who it is, but he's not he's not praising these guys. He said these guys are working at these positions, is what he said. He's just giving the update of what side of the line they're on. And that's concerning. Like he's not heaping praise to motivate the other guy or heaping praise on both to try to say, hey, it's close. He's just saying they're working at those spots. So to me, that's they also haven't figured this out because the level of play hasn't been high enough, just like quarterback. So right now we're at quarterback, left tackle and right tackle that the head coach is not satisfied with the level of play. And we are nine, 10 days in the camp. Yeah, I'm concerned. So I'll put a, uh, I'll try and put a bow on this. I think there's one thing to blame here. It's transfer portal. Ryan Day is just saying all the right things to make every single backup think, man, I almost had it. You know, I'm going to stick around. And of course I say that in jest, but 
I, I do think there could be some coach talk. At the same time, though, you're right. You want some certainty, right? But Ohio State has sort of patched it together before. And again, I think these guys deserve some credit. I think back at least two years, though. C.J. Stroud was the new starting quarterback. And Thayer Munford, for better or for worse, was the new left tackle. Was he experienced? Yes, he was. Was he good? No, not really. So, but they figured it out. And and Thayer Munford, again, not a bookend left tackle by any means, but he, he picked it up and he was passable. And Ohio State made it to a CFP, right? So for me, it's not the end of the world. I, like you, would like to have some some more certainty or a little bit better of a feeling in my gut moving forward. But we do have three weeks all the time in the world, right? So <laughs> let's just move on before we get too, too depressed. Chuck, I think that's a good idea. With housekeeping and the current events out of the way, uh, what Chuck and I are going to do is jump back into our quasi Big Ten team preview. As I said last week, he and I are going to go into greater detail when many of these teams play Ohio State. But what we wanted to do is sort of our season preview is break the Big Ten down into three categories or tiers. Contenders, pretenders, or bottom feeders. And or bottom feeders. And those should all be pretty self-explanatory, but I, I hope I hit the nail on the head here. Chuck, I know this is a pretty sexy, sexy topic. Are you ready to work your way to the middle and talk about like the vanilla teams, which really gets everyone's engines going? I mean, when you talk mediocre, nobody can talk mediocre like I can. So I, I'm excited. What I'm what I'm really excited for though is. Most of these teams have some questions on how they're going to perform, whether it be coaching changes, player changes, whatever it may be. I'm actually excited that Ohio State isn't playing any of them early, like first two, three, four weeks, because then we can actually see them perform before Ohio State plays them. Indiana, I, I didn't care that they were playing them early. We could do that preview. We could have done that preview three months ago and i don't think that anything i said would have changed <laughs> as, it, yeah. as it will in two weeks but these teams like what we're saying now is going to be a lot of hey this happened i wonder how they will react this happened what does it mean so it's it's kind of cool that uh i i would guess a couple of these teams will end up surprising us and a couple of them are probably still going to be shitty and we just don't know and that's it's i mean it's kind of interesting yeah, I think there's definitely some F around and find out ness here. Like right. if, they play, <laughs> if they were playing Maryland week one, I'd be like, damn, man, I don't know. Like, that's, I don't know what to expect. But actually, let's just start there. So, uh, just as a little bit of a reminder, I got the over unders from CBS Sports from Caesars uh, about a month and a half ago. These may have changed a little bit, but. I, I agreed with a lot of them, too, so I was like, cool, we're going to stick with that. First team that we looked at was Maryland. So the Terps should have a pretty good offense, at least as far as skill guys are concerned. Uh, but they are slated to return just one starter on the offensive line. 
Uh, at quarterback, I like Talia Tagovailoa, but I also think that I think he's kind of maxed out. Like to me, he is the store brand version of his brother, and I, I really don't say that to be disrespectful. It's just sort of an easy comp to make. They're very similar, but I think that Tua was a better college and obviously pro quarterback. Talia hasn't gotten there yet, but. Uh, I also love Roman Hemby, their running back. He's listed at 6'2", 200 pounds. He plays much bigger. He looks like a Mack truck out there. On the outside, Maryland lost a bunch of weapons, but they also replenished their wide receiver room fairly well, picked up Tyrese Chambers from FIU. He was very productive at a lower level. Where I think this team has some issues is on the defensive side of the ball. The Terps definitely have some talent and some speed, but... I think they're just going to be overmatched by going up against the likes of Ohio State and Michigan and teams like that. Linebacker Jayshon Barham is a beast, and Tarheeb Still is a solid cornerback. Although, you know, he went from 18 pass breakups in his first 17 career games to just one last season. And Maryland also lost Deontay Banks and Jacorian Bennett two corners who went in the first and fourth round, fourth rounds of the draft, respectively. I just don't think Maryland is, is in a position to replace those guys quickly or easily. So I think Maryland produces a lot of fireworks, but I, I think they might give up a bunch of points too. I couldn't agree more, but that being said, they still scare the absolute bejesus out of me because of those points. Like there is just something, how many times every year, do you see, and, and they've almost done it to Ohio State three times now in the last eight years. How many times have you seen a game that is 52 to 48 and a team that has four losses beats a team with zero or one? Because it, once it gets out of hand, it just gets out of hand. I always think about Anthony McFarland when they had the running back. Oh, my God. What do you have? 17 touchdowns. Yeah, at 400. Thousand yards, seventeen touchdowns. Dwayne Haskins had to throw for six hundred ninety-four yards and twelve touchdowns in order to win that game, and had to. It, it was just, it was insanity. I mean, look at last year. Last year was, it was unreal. the The best thing that happens is they're playing Ohio State, or Ohio State has them at home this year. They don't have to go to College Park because, good lord, you get that. You get them rolling at home, and it's it's scary stuff, man. And really, Ohio State sort of lucked out last year. I think the, the final margin of victory was 13 points, if I'm not mistaken. But it was all because of Dallin Hayden. Oddly enough, he came in right. and just went bananas in the second half. It wasn't even a great C.J. Stroud game. <clears throat> but like I said, the Buckeyes sort of pulled that one out at the end. It looked... It was closer than it appeared with the final score. But, you know, they do have to replace some pieces. You know, they lost, um, gosh, the names I'm not going to have, but they had Rakeem Garrett, who was an Ohio State, like, five-star guy, right? And they had Dante Demas, I think, was their big pass-catching option. I like the tight end that they still have, converted wide receiver, if I'm not mistaken, but then they lost another to... Bama. I hope I'm getting all of that right with some of the movement they had as far as their skill guys go. <clears throat> but like I said, Tyrese Chambers, the kid they brought in a thousand yards, I think two years ago at FIU, another good season last year. He's not the biggest target in the world, but 
I think between Mike Loxley and Talia Tagovailoa, like they'll figure it out on offense and they will put up some points, but their over-under is very tough because I said seven. It's sort of like I don't want to go eight, but I think they're better than six wins. So like it would be right there for me, Chuck. If you had to go over-under for Maryland seven wins, where are you at? I, I could not stay away from this one more. It's, <laughs> it is a, I, I guess, the challenge for them. I mean, there is a scenario, if you look at their schedule, Towson, Charlotte, home for Virginia. Who knows what Virginia is going to be this year after the tragedy last year. You just don't know how well they're going to play football. You just hope they make it through emotionally. Uh, at Michigan State, Indiana, like they could be 5-0. and oh coming to the shoe and four ones probably pretty likely. So um, Northwestern's a fifth win, but then it gets, it gets tough. They've got Penn state, Michigan. They're at Nebraska. Like seven seems right. Like even if they start five and one, they could easily only be at Northwestern and at Rutgers to finish the season. So seven and a half was the right number. Cause it's going to be seven or eight, but Give me, give me the under slightly, and I'm going to keep my money in my pocket. Yeah, I think we're in total agreement there. So <clears throat> let's just move on to the next one. And I actually really want to talk about this team. Uh, spoiler alert, it's Minnesota, okay? Their over-under is seven. But <clears throat> I just don't get it with this team, I, I guess is what I'm trying to say. I mean – I know the Gophers went nine and four last year, but they were not your typical nine win team. They beat two one and 11 teams and FBS Western Illinois. They beat three teams, Chuck, that finished with a winning record, New Mexico State, Syracuse and Wisconsin, all of which finished seven and six and none of which finished within miles of the top 25. Minnesota, they didn't play a single offense worth a shit, frankly, which is what helped them finish fourth nationally in points per game allowed. Did you know that? Fourth in the nation in points per game allowed. I'd be lying if I looked at a lot of Minnesota stats prior okay, to that, tonight. That's right. and, and look, you know what happened when they played Penn State? They gave up 45. And then they didn't play Ohio State. They did not play Michigan or even Maryland. And... You know, beyond that, just the schedule, I counted less than 20 total sacks, and I think they had 15 total interceptions. So they weren't getting after the quarterback or turning the ball over at some historic level. They just played awful football teams. So in my opinion, the defense was fool's gold, and that is what really, air quotes, carried Minnesota last year. Mo Ibrahim was also a beast at running back. but. Minnesota scored 17 or less in four different games, which tells me the offense wasn't great either. Now, they do return last year's leading receiver, Daniel Jackson, as well as stud tight end Brevin Spanford and Chris Altman-Bell, who was a breakout candidate last year before he got hurt. But I think he's 27 years old, and he hasn't topped 506 receiving yards in his four healthy seasons. Uh, they've got Ethan Kaliakmanis, 
projected to start at quarterback. He might be an upgrade in place of Tanner Morgan. Uh, he was the number 16 quarterback in his recruiting class, according to rivals. But he actually started five games last season, completed 54% of his passes. And uh, 247 has him or had him ranked number 67 out of 69, nice, among Power 5 quarterbacks. So he was almost ranked as the worst projected starter among Power 5 quarterbacks. Not great. Um, so granted limited sample size, true freshman, all that good stuff. But I just think that this is an average football team that got very lucky last year and they may or may not have some culture issues. I know you're going to crack a joke at some point. None of that is a recipe for great success. Well, I, I paid you in fleck bucks. There's one. Or I got a couple fleck coins. I, I, at the end of the year, that's all they're going to be is coins. He's going to be handing out quarters. <laughs> Their schedule is daunting, to say the least, especially considering what they had to go up against last year. Uh, they've got Michigan. They've got Ohio State. They've got UNC in the non-conference. They've got They've got to go to Iowa. I forgot about North Carolina. Let's see if last year's you know, supposed number four defense has fun with Drake May. Right. On the road. Like, come on. <laughs> and then they've got, uh, they finish, they're at Wisconsin, or they're at home, but they have Wisconsin. So there's five losses before they even blink because they can't beat any of those teams. Not this year. They might have been able to beat Iowa last year without a quarterback, but Kate McNamara has a pulse. And Wisconsin's going to be way better than they were last year. So there's five losses. Then you got to go to Purdue. You've got to uh, – you've still got Nebraska. I, Nebraska game one, like I would hate to play Nebraska first game in the season because you have no idea what to expect with a new coaching staff, with, with a good head coach. Like they could come out and just hand you your ass and you wouldn't even know what happened to you. So I'm slamming this under because I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think the offense is actually going to be a bigger issue this year. And it sucked last year. I like when you, when you when losing Mo Ibrahim was a big deal and they love to run the ball. Like they're not going to be as effective and they weren't effective. So they're going to go from mediocre to really bad on offense and they're going to look like the Iowa Hawkeyes circa 2022, in my opinion. That's probably a good comp. And, you know, they brought in, I don't have his name, but they brought in a transfer from the Mac, if I'm not mistaken. He was a thousand yard rusher. But <clears throat> even Mo Ibrahim, who I agree, or we agree, was a monster, he was also running behind a hell of an offensive line. Like, that's the one thing Minnesota did right for a couple of years. They had, um, they had the the one kid playing left tackle. He plays for the Ravens now. He was like seven foot, four hundred and eighty pounds, and like he was their swing tackle. So they had a really good offensive line. Most of those guys have moved on now. So I'm with you. Yet, go ahead. They lost the interior. They lost their interior line, and uh, John Michael Schmitz. I mean, he was a was he a second round pick this year at center? Like that's that's a problem. You, Minnesota doesn't go back to back Remington Award winners, so there's going to be a drop off. And the, John Jacob Jingleheimer uh, Schmitz, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, he and 
Sean Tyler coming in from Western Michigan, he's just not going to be as good, and he's not going to be as behind as good of a line. So they're going to regress. So now those four games of 17 or less are going to be 10 or less. And just go ahead, and if that's against Nebraska or Illinois or Purdue, just go ahead and mark those down for a loss now. And that's ignoring the culture stuff. I know you joked about it, but it may or may not be real. And if it is, then PJ is going to fleck around and find out because guys aren't going to want to play for him. So, <laughs> Whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Oh, yeah, you God. like that one. But it, it's very true. You know, if guys are not on board with the dude who reportedly makes them stand at attention and clap when he enters a room, <clears throat> if you don't have the buy-in and you've got a shitty offense and an overrated defense, you're asking for trouble. So, Let's move on to the next one. You might as well call me Charlie Murphy because I am at front and center at the player haters ball. Here's another coach I am not the biggest fan of. The next team I'm talking about is Illinois. They've got an over under of six and a half. I could see a Michigan State-esque regression with Illinois. I've talked about it in the past. I do not think that Brett Bielema is a very good football coach. And he lost just about every individual who made the 2022 team interesting. I know they have some guys coming back up front, very good defensive line. But, you know, defensive coordinator Ryan Walters is gone. He's the head coach at Purdue. Former cornerback Devin Witherspoon, number six overall pick for the Seahawks. Safety Sidney Brown. All gone just on the defensive side of the ball. And I could keep listing defensive backs if I wanted to. The fighting line, I lost about 50 interceptions and arguably the best cornerback in all of college football last year. That defense and then the running game with Chase Brown made life very easy for Bielema. Chase Brown is gone. Even quarterback Tommy DeVito was good for them last year. He's now a New York Giant. So they're relying on a a solid front seven on defense, and Luke Altmaier, okay? The latter was a four-star recruit and an Under Armour All-American, but he did nothing in two years at Ole Miss. And I think that Lane Kiffin, if you've got some skill, I think Lane Kiffin, as far as quarterbacks and offensive players go, like he's going to get it out of you. Luke Altmaier never came through at Ole Miss. I just think that this team is sort of starting over. Sands defensive line. And so I think that Brett Bielema's Illinois quickly becomes Brett Bielema's Arkansas moving forward. Burt was 29 and 34 in Fayetteville or Little Rock or wherever uh, Arkansas is, university is located, University of Arkansas. If I'm butchering that, I apologize. But I could see similar results in Champaign, Illinois. That one I know I'm right about. I think his only chance, not only chance, I think what helps him, though, is because they're in the West. Like, you can almost, when you've got Northwestern, and if we think Minnesota really stinks like they do, and then you've got Indiana, and then you've got the non-conference. Like, their non-conference is Toledo. They do have to go to Kansas, but Kansas is probably the fighting Lance Leopolds, baby. Right, but that's a 50-50. They could do the same thing Illinois did. And then they've got FAU at home. Like right there, there's four, five, six wins without even having to beat a good team. And and that's that's where I think they could probably make a run at seven wins again. I think in six and a half the number. 
I think Kansas just because of that. Him. Especially if they have the kid who has the 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 chain playing his highlights. Like that kid, <laughs> you just send him to New York now. But that's that's an aside. I, I interrupted a little bit. Yeah, I I mean I I think they're a six or seven win team, and in Illinois, that's a big deal. I know we've we're old enough to have seen him go to a Rose Bowl, but most people aren't, and uh, the people older than us definitely didn't see one before the one we saw. So, is that when they were is that when they were sipping on Zook and Juice? Is that when they had Ron Zook and Juice Williams? Yeah, Ron Zook, Juice Williams. Yeah, Ron was uh, was recruiting the hell out of Chicago. Uh, handing out NIL deals before NIL deals were a thing, but that—that's their challenge. I mean, they—they don't have the challenge that other teams have. So, and and seven wins at Illinois is still a win. He 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 gets he gets praised for going seven and five at Illinois. Yeah, and that's sort of that's sort of the odd thing with Brett Bila and Bila, in my opinion, I think that he is more highly regarded than he is like an actual good coach. Uh, in my opinion, Wisconsin sort of got handed, it got handed to him and he was fine. Right. But he couldn't, he couldn't win the big games. Um, Arkansas sort of a disaster, great success so far at Illinois, but yeah, we'll see. You're talking me into the over just because of their schedule, which I'm looking at right now. But just because I don't like the head coach, I'm going to take the under on Illinois. No offense to him personally. I've always said betting with emotion is the best thing to do. So definitely throw that money uh, behind something emotionally. It'll work out for you. I promise. I think all the great bettors say the same thing. So that's what I'm going to do. (laughs) Let's move on to our, gosh, our second to last team here in the pretenders category. So again, these are teams that we think are going to comprise the middle of the Big Ten standings throughout the year. Maybe they flirt with an upset or two, but we just we don't consider them a legitimate pretender, and really neither does Vegas at this point. The next team I've got is Nebraska. And Chuck, I'll be honest, I have no read whatsoever on Nebraska. I think that Matt Rule is a fine coach, but he was pretty bad in the NFL and at past college stops, it has typically taken a year or two to get the program rolling at both Temple and Baylor. They were awful in his first year. Now credit and kudos goes to him. He turned those program, both programs around rather quickly, but you got to wonder if he goes in and kind of goes scorched earth and then starts with his own guys. But they lost wide receiver Trey Palmer, who was one of the most dynamic athletes in the big 10 last year as well as a number of guys from last year's front seven on offense. Uh, I like linebackers Luke Reimer and Nick Heinrich, but other than that, and and those guys are obviously on defense, I I just think that it's going to take a minute for Rule to make Nebraska competitive. I mean, I I guess some people are excited about transfer quarterback Jeff Sims for them. I don't see it. He uh, yeah, don't don't put me on that list either. Yeah, but I mean, like some people are geeked up about him, and he, he wasn't that good, frankly. He completed like 57 percent of his passes at Georgia Tech, less than a two to one inter- touchdown to interception ratio. 
he's big and he can run a little bit. He's not Cam Newton by any means. I think they need to go with Chubba Purdy. Younger brother of Brock, he is a fourth-year sophomore who hasn't been good, but with a name and a family lineage like he has, you just got to do it if you're Matt Rule. What say you, Chuck? I'm here for Chubba. But I don't think it happens. I think Jeff Sims is is the guy. I don't think they, they brought him in with for whatever reason determining he was going to be the guy. I think this is a pretty similar one to Illinois, though, that this schedule is really bad in, in some parts. Like if he if Colorado is what you think they are, which I disagree, but in your mind, they should start 4-0. Minnesota, Colorado, Northern Illinois, Louisiana Tech. Like 4-0 with Michigan coming to Nebraska, like coming to Memorial Stadium. That would be wild because they'd be a top 25 team just because they're Nebraska. Nebraska 4-0, no matter who you beat, they'd be a top 25 team. And then they've still got Northwestern. They've still got Michigan State. Maryland's got to come to them. Iowa's got to come to them. Purdue's got to come to them. Like, this could be a seven-win team and be a terrible team. <laughs> like, they could be barely passable on offense and be a seven-win team is what's crazy about it. And I, I don't think Sims is the answer. I also don't think Purdy's the answer. Uh, if he was, they would just wouldn't have brought Sims in. So I don't know what does in the portal next year. The thing is, if they, if they go seven and five, then they can get a quarterback. Somebody will want to come there. So that that's probably what he's banking on. They did go and get, you know, he was, gosh, I'm trying to think. He was Kyle Pitts before Kyle Pitts. Eric Armstead, right? Like he was the number one recruit in high school football history or something. He committed and decommitted from half a dozen schools, ended up at, gosh, what was his path? LSU, Georgia, and now Nebraska? Right. He's got three or four years of probably three years of eligibility left somehow. Uh, at this point, I think he has either attended or flirted with a dozen schools. But I don't know. Who knows? Maybe they get something out of him. Like he was, gosh, I remember when he was a recruit coming out there. Like this dude is like Calvin Johnson meets Gronk. Like he was just supposed to be this insane, insane athlete. And he hasn't had the opportunity or hasn't given himself the opportunity, but <clears throat> yeah, maybe it is the schedule. You're, you're sort of talking me into these West teams. It makes me want to like petition for these divisions to stay intact and Ohio state to go West. But if that does happen in the future, that means four teams out West at least. So be careful what you wish for there. But yeah, I, I do think Matt rule will figure something out. I don't think they're, one in eleven, like I think Temple was one in eleven his first year. They're not going to be that bad. He'll figure something out to his credit. Like I said, he is a good coach and he's done some things at some places. It just didn't work in the NFL, and that happened. So let's do our last school here, Chuck, and another interesting one in my opinion. Our last pretender here is Purdue, and I went reverse order over under wins. Purdue's over under is five. And at first I was like, where can I go and hammer this? As in the over, because what 
their new coach, Ryan Walters, did at Illinois with their defense was insanely impressive. And then he goes out and he gets Graham Harrell as his offensive coordinator. I said, look, this team's going to win six or seven games easy. But then I looked at their schedule and the guys they have returning. And I was like, oh, okay, I, I get it now. I like some of the pieces. Hudson Card is a legitimate talent at quarterback. He just got kicked to the curb at Texas. Devin Mockaby is a versatile running back, but the Boilermakers lost Charlie Jones, a.k.a. Chuck Sizzle, to our Bengals. 110 catches and nearly 1,400 yards last year. And they returned just four starters on a defense that gave up over 27 points per game last season. So Walters has his work cut out for him. And then the schedule is just brutal. Their non-con is Fresno State, Virginia Tech, and Syracuse. Then their first four conference games are against Wisconsin, Illinois, Iowa, and Ohio State. Like, this team could start 0-7, and I would not be shocked. That being said, if they do, Purdue fans should pump the brakes. Don't overreact. But that is a very, very, very difficult schedule for a new head coach and a lot of new pieces. They could be a better team than Illinois and Nebraska and finish two games behind both of them in the standings <laughs> because of that schedule. Because like if they, it, you're like right, if they played 10 games head-to-head, Purdue might be Yeah, and, but you could look at Purdue could be 5-7 and seven and those teams could both be 7-5, and five and you'd be like, how, the, how in the hell did that happen? But that's why, the non-conference, right? And then, I mean, they finish really easy, but – I mean, the team could already be whooped by then, and it could not matter. Like getting getting to the Minnesota, Northwestern, and Indiana games could be at that point. The other teams could be licking their chops, thinking that this is where we get our win, and it's it, it's it's no bueno. It's going to be a long year for Ryan Walters. I am excited to see if they can put some points up. I would love for them to uh, recreate the. Uh, Joe Tiller era with Graham Harrell at, at offensive coordinator and just I mean he's an air raid guy I want him to go full air raid I want full Mike Leach Texas Tech air raid out of them so at least if they're losing it's 55 to 50. What would be funny is if Hudson Card is just better than Quinn Ewers I mean he was solid in his time at Texas but then Ewers came in and they're like sorry man like everyone wants to see the kid and he you know to yours' credit, he was pretty good last year. I think he's being a little bit overhyped, but that's neither here nor there. Hudson Card's legit, but, I mean, Chuck Sizzle was an animal for them last year. They'll definitely have to figure out the offense and figure out the defense. Like I said, they gave up over 27 points per game last season, so it's a tall, tall task. I guess, you know what, just because I, I like their coach, I'll take the over. I'm going to say they find a way to get to six wins. But, you know, if I'm looking at my slip or I'm looking at my my app and I know they're heading for four and eight, like I will be trying to hedge pretty early on after a couple of games once I see what they can do with some of this big boy competition. You could probably hedge after the first game because if they can't beat Fresno State at home, it's going to be really tough, right? I think 
I think they hit two just because I do think they could probably beat Fresno State. Syracuse could go either way. If if they get that one, then it's in the bag. I don't think they beat Virginia Tech on the road, even though Virginia Tech's not what they used to be. But I, I think six, I think they, they hold on to six just because the end is so poop on their schedule. And I mean, it really, this boils down to, we think Northwestern, Indiana, and Minnesota might win six games. Yeah, that's fair. But, you know, don't, uh, don't underestimate what they could do in Blacksburg when they play Virginia Tech only because like the atmosphere at Virginia Tech with entertainment and everything is bananas. But I think like a close second is West Lafayette. You know, you, you don't mess around. <laughs> so Purdue's used to that hostile environment, which we probably shouldn't even crack jokes Ooh. because Ohio State has certainly struggled with them. But yeah, you're right. I don't think they beat Virginia Tech. Now, Chuck, we went through five teams. We've got five more. You can probably figure them all out. The listeners can read them all out. Before we get out of here, I'll at least give you the opportunity. Do you want to jump on the table and shout for Iowa to be a a pretender, or are you okay with them filling out the last category that we have next week? They're a pretender in the sense that they can't win the Big Ten. Now, they're a contender for the West, but there's not a team of the three that could win the East that they can stay on the field with uh, for the Big Ten title. So, yes, if they, they could get lucky against Wisconsin and make it to the Big Ten title game, but I would hammer every single one of Michigan, Penn State, and Ohio State to cover against Iowa today in a Big Ten title game. I don't even care who's healthy for any of the three teams. I'm with you. We get to have the Brian Ferentz conversation and the Kirk Ferentz conversation next week, which I already have marked on my calendar. I have not had the nicest things to say about either probably fine gentlemen um, in, in Iowa City, but We'll save that for another day. Chuck and I are going to do our contenders episode next week. And then it's it's almost it's almost time, brother. It is almost time to kick this thing off for real. Um, but in the meantime, just want to say thank you all for listening. We hope that you will continue to like, rate, review, and subscribe. Send us listener questions. We have not had an opportunity to cover that the last couple of weeks, but we will when we have time. We love those. So until next time, for Chuck Holmes, I'm...